This episode of Commons is brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. For 50% off your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash commons and enter promo code commons when you subscribe. This episode is also brought to you by Crohn's and Colitis Canada. Crohn's and Colitis Canada is taking aim at a hurdle many Canadians with incontinence issues face, accessing washrooms on the go. They've launched the Go Here washroom app and are asking businesses to sign on and open their washrooms to those in need. And they are calling on the government of Canada to demonstrate leadership and legislate public washroom access in the Canadians with Disabilities Act. To show your support, sign their petition at action.cronesandcolitis.ca. For the first time ever, I was recognized in public as a host of Commons. It was weird. felt good. I'm going to tell my mom about it for sure. But when I talked to the woman on the plane about what was planned next for the show, she had no idea what I was talking about. The 60s scoop is one of those dark chapters that, once Canadians learn about it, their reaction invariably is, Jesus Christ, what else don't I know about? Today on the show... We talk about the 60 Scoop. I'm Ryan McMahon. I'm Hadia Rodrigue. And I'm Ashley Chinati. From Canada Land, this is Commons. All right, guys, we're still in crowdfunding mode here at Canada Land headquarters, but I promise you this is the last show for the rest of the year. We're going to talk about it, but that makes it all the more important that you listen up. So we have these plans to go to Thunder Bay, and as we get closer to our goal of of a serialized investigative podcast about a city that has a story that needs to be told, I, I talk to people from back home and kind of gauge what they think about us going to Thunder Bay. And I've been hearing stories from my relatives, uh, family members, and people that uh, are close to me about how long this type of racism and violence has been in that city. There is a a dark racism at the foundation of these cities. And it's not just Thunder Bay. There are a hundred Thunder Bays in Canada. Our goal is to tell the story of Thunder Bay and we need your help. Now, the response to this has been overwhelming and many of you want us to tell this story. Many of you have joined us on Patreon to bring us closer to our goals, but we still need some help. You can go to patreon.com slash Canada land to help us get to Thunder Bay. So one more bit of housekeeping before we start the show. Comments is coming to Vancouver. Hey, West Coast. I'm making the West, West Side West, sign right now and I no one can see it. it. My wine club is actually having a Pacific Northwest day next weekend because we're going to Vancouver. Nice. Not actually because we're going to Vancouver, but I just thought I'd throw <laughs> to that in there. prepare you for yeah. your trip. Right. Um, you know, we're going to get Ryan out of Winnipeg. Very good. Slash Toronto. And it's November 17th. That's a Friday at 6.30 p.m. And you can buy tickets through our website, canadalandshow.com slash commons. We'll be talking about Antifa and West Coast 
anti-fascist activism, and perhaps a few other topics. If you'd like to send us some ideas, email us at commons at canadalandshow.com. Today's show is about the 60s scoop, which is a weirdly cute name for a truly horrible thing where indigenous children in the 60s, 70s, and 80s were wrenched by the government from their families and put up for adoption or placed in foster homes. Last month, Ottawa announced an $800 million settlement with 60s scoop survivors. But this is not in the past for them or for Canada. Today, Ashley is going to bring us a remarkable conversation with the 60 Scoop survivor. But before I do, we have the return of Is This a Thing? And before that, a message from our first sponsor. This episode of Commons is brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Hadia, you made a beautiful soup last night. I How'd that did. Go? It went pretty well. It's, I like it when things are in little convenient packages for me that I can just cut open with scissors and literally dump them into the pot. So the soup was really easy to make, and it was very tasty, and I'm having it again for lunch. Oh, did you get, like, two portions for, like... Single person, (laughs) box for two. I'm getting, like, eight or nine meals out of this. That's amazing. Um, I have to admit, I was super skeptical. I didn't think I was going to like HelloFresh or the meals because I am a bit of a foodie. I can pretty much cook anything. It might take me two tries, but, like, give me a recipe. I can nail it down. Stop bragging. (laughs) So, but I was actually really impressed with uh, the meals. I did like removing some of the prep from the equation. No, it's no joke. They do source the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantity needed. There's no food waste, and it's all delivered to your doorstep in a special insulated box for free. For 50% off your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash commons. Enter the promo code commons when you subscribe. What's your thing for the week? Site C Dam is dead, but not yet and not really, but maybe it's dead and it should be dead, but it might not be because of how much money was spent on it, but it should be because how much money was spent on it. It is wildly over budget, way behind schedule, and it should be killed, but it's not yet dead because the BCNDP need to consider all their options. They need to talk to indigenous people who want it dead, but it is not dead. Is this a thing? This is classic escalation of commitment. So it's kind of like a relationship where you've like you've been with someone for five years, but you stay because you've been with them for five years, even though you really should not be in that relationship anymore. Um, it's an actual psychological phenomenon where because you've invested time or money, you're just less likely to let it go. Whereas if you'd been told, if you were at the beginning of the project and you're like, okay, this is going to cost you X, you'd be like, F, no, <laughs> I'm out. Um, so this is what's happening here. So yeah. here's the question I have about the Site C Dam, which is a huge hydroelectric project in BC for anyone who doesn't know what it is off the bat, is the BC Liberals said that BC Hydro said that they needed it for the long-term stability of the power grid. And the reason the BC NDP have commissioned this report is to find out whether that's true. And I totally understand the land claim and environmental concerns around it. But hydroelectric power, once it's built, is one of the cleanest forms of power that we have. There are long-term gains to be had if this can be done in a way that makes everybody involved happy. And that's a big if and if they need it, if it wasn't just political cover for the BC Liberals to get a big infrastructure project built that 
would make a lot of money, right? I think it's interesting because this is the first really large challenge in front of the BC NDP where, you know, they've talked a big game. They have this alliance with the Green Party and they're being put to the test. There's two sides to this, of course. And and the one side is saying BC is going to sell this energy off and it's actually not meant for the province. And then there's the other side, which says in the long term, it makes good economic sense. What's really unique about this, I think, is that it's not just indigenous people saying, "Uh uh-uh, you can't flood us. There are farms, there are really lush, lush, lush lands that will be completely flooded out. This is probably not a massive, massive thing, but I think it's a thing. Um, Okay, guys, so I have a bit of a confession today. I'm kind of really into astrology and especially the Chatelaine horoscopes. They're really good. Anyway, the governor general apparently offended me this week when she uh, came out, our new governor general, Julie Payette, astronaut, scientist, was speaking to a room of scientists at a conference in Ottawa and said, yay, science, essentially. Unfortunately, we're still debating whether life was a divine intervention, yet so many people, I'm sure you know many of them, still believe want to believe that maybe taking a sugar pill will cure cancer if you will it good enough and that your future and every single one of the people here's personality can be determined by looking at planets coming in front of invented constellations one would think for someone who's been to space this is the kind of thing where you'd be like yeah you know what you understand the fragility of the planet and she's that we're a on scientist the, she's she might, a scientist she might know a few things she might know a few things yeah but now everyone's really upset with her tone. And I, I, so why, you know, if a politician said this, totally on board remarks. But she is the governor general, the queen's representative, the representative of our head of state. A metaphorical figurehead. Uh, and so some people Represents are saying she an wasn't, idea. you know, didn't have enough decorum, let's uh-huh. say, that she, she wasn't respectful enough of especially religious views because she approached it with a joking tone. So is it because, like, the queen is dead-ass boring, that Julie Payette is supposed to be dead-ass boring as well? I think you well? signed a paper that, at the top <laughs> of the paper, it says, this is the dead-ass like, boring What is the contract? actual personality of the queen? <laughs> we don't know knows. The governor general, I think, is expected to be neutral. For a governor general to, you know, publicly express themselves this way is is a little bit of a no-go in, in Canada. I, I don't think this is a, even a, a thing where it was about not being neutral. Though. Like she was basically saying science is science is science. Yeah. And maybe in a way that wasn't as, as apolitical as possible. But I mean, governors general do often champion an issue. We had Michelle Jean with Haiti. I think this is just coming down to the fact that people still see the climate and science as a political issue hmm. i think the offense is a is a symptom of the rot of our political discourse and the fact that we aren't putting science and facts where they should be. I don't even think most Canadians fucking even know what the governor general is supposed to do or not supposed to do. So who gives a fuck? It's not a thing. So we'd like to take a moment to thank our second sponsor, FreshBooks. So for those of you who don't know, FreshBooks makes cloud accounting software um, that's very straightforward to use. You save a lot of time. You can use the app to send invoices, take photos of your receipts, all within the app. So There's an app? 
Ashley, you're freelancing now. <laughs> I know. You got to know these things. I, need, I know. I hate money. Are I'm you, so bad at it. Are you it. one I just of those like freelancers throw... that uses Microsoft Word or yeah. draws it on an app? Yeah. I have a Google Doc use drive, and then I just forward that all to an accountant. So I use FreshBooks to send my invoices to Jesse. All right. I use it too. I love it. It's fast, effective. Gets you paid all the time. <laughs> If you are listening to this and not using FreshBooks yet, now would be the time to try it because FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for all of our listeners. No credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash commons and enter commons in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash commons. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. It now has three types of mattresses, the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential. And really, who doesn't want to go to sleep on a Wave? We're not sure which one Jesse Brown has at his house. Because he won't have us over. But um, Casper, of course, cuts out the middleman, sells directly to the consumer, and there's no hassle returns if you're not completely satisfied, which I think is great. It's dropped off at your door in a box, free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. You spend one-third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. And the thing about Casper is you can actually be sure about your purchase because you get a 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. So if you've ever bought a mattress and shelled out all that cash and then been like, oh, damn, I should have gotten that pillow top, well... Casper will let you try it for 100 nights so you can be sure that you are going to love this mattress. Start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get $65 Canadian toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash commons and use commons at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. We were children of the first peoples of this land with a worldview and cultures and languages that were separate and different from those of the Europeans who came in and began to control our lives. They took us. The 60s scoop is back in the news, and we wanted to better understand it. Betty Ann Adam is a reporter with the Saskatoon star Phoenix. I reached her in their newsroom where she told me about her very personal connection to this national story. They took me from a remote northern community. When I first went there in the 1980s, it was like going to a different country. They took children away from those communities. They took me away from that community and placed me in a place. When I went into the foster home, I, I was bilingual. But of course, by the time I met someone as an adult who spoke my language, I didn't understand a word of it. And to this day, I can't speak the language. And I really felt like an outsider from Indigenous communities. And I also felt that I was sort of only on the fringes of the white community as well. So there is that. And I also thought I was the only person like that. I didn't think there were any other Indian people like me who were in this in-between world. So it wasn't until I was 19 and I um, had an opportunity to go to Uranium City, which is where I was born. And I went there so that I could do some looking. And I saw the band list. I saw my mother's name with my name and birthday and those of my two sisters and my brother. And so the second sister and my brother were a complete uh, surprise to me. 
and I was 19 and I had this list and I I knew that I wanted to find them to meet them someday so it took until I was 56 (laughs) for that to actually happen there were thousands of children just in Saskatchewan alone, uh, tens of thousands across the country who were caught up in what we now call the 60s scoop. What was it like to to learn that this was a, a very broad experience uh, that was shared by so many people? When the Truth and Reconciliation Commission began, that was the thing that really, really opened up Canadian uh, minds and society and information came out about the residential schools. We began to learn that so many of the survivors of Indian residential schools wept as they talked about their own failures to be parents after that had happened, after they came out of those out of these schools where they'd been raised. We learned that there was a thing called intergenerational effects and that survivors, the children who had been in residential school, so many of them grew up with real uh, real emotional problems. So when the residential schools were winding down in the 1950s, that was when um, social workers stepped in and, and um, saw these saw children being neglected and and parents uh, that had problems with drinking, and they and they started taking the kids. And an early study had a social worker describing how they went into uh, reserves and scooped all the kids. It was a, it, it was actually a, a quote from a social worker who described what they were doing. And so there are still people out there who will argue that not only were the residential schools not all bad, but that the 60s scoop was actually beneficial to some people, um, such as yourself. They'd argue, you know, you'd be you're working in a great newspaper in a in a city and you're a, you know, a, a well-adjusted adult that it actually had no negative effects on you. So how would you respond to people who would make that that argument because we do still see it so often and often in pages of national media. Well, I think that an important thing to to consider is your perspective when you say that. If you assume that being part of the mainstream white society is the best possible reality, well then you you might take that opinion. But what the residential schools did and what the 60s scoop did was cultural genocide there there are absolutely things that we have lost i'm a different person from who i would have been and so for someone to suggest that i'm better off well maybe you know maybe i i can get along but that doesn't mean that i wouldn't have gotten along i have many cousins who still live at the reserve and who grew up there who are well educated people who are teachers and who who have good careers, they're translators, many cousins who still go on the trap line, who know the traditional arts and the old ways of being. Absolutely, these things were taken from us. My mother, who had gone to a residential school, had all four of her children taken from her. And so that she missed out on years of family life as a child, And as an adult, she was deprived, denied the right to be a mother and have a family of her own. These were all policies of the Canadian government. 
And are they policies that we've actually seen the end of? Is the 60 scoop really over? Because we constantly see numbers from children's aid societies across the country that Indigenous and Black youth in particular are still over-represented in the system. Of course, absolutely. I mean, the now the number of, chil- of Indigenous children in foster homes is greater than the number of children who were in the residential schools at the height of the residential school system. Now, there is a settlement for survivors of the 60s scoop. Are you satisfied with this resolution? The current agreement in principle says that the federal government will make reparations to status Indians and Inuit. They will not make reparations to Métis children or non-status and that is the particular division that I've, I find um, unacceptable, and I think it's, it's in fact, deplorable. And um, Jacqueline Maurice, as, uh, Dr. Jacqueline Maurice, who did her thesis on the 60s scoop back in the early 1990s, used her own life experience as a case study in, in her thesis. She was in 15 different foster homes. She was moved from home to home, and it had caused terrible emotional difficulties for her as a child. And she survived. Her journey was horrendous, but she survived it. She went to university. She became an accomplished academic, and she's an expert on the 60s scoop but she is Métis, and she will not get the payment. In Saskatchewan, they had an actual formal program for um, a period of time. I don't know the exact years of it, and it was called Adopt Indian Métis, A-I-M. And Métis was right in the name. And they took children from their families. They took photos of them and advertised them in newspapers, on radio, um, you know, give a home to this cute child. Sort of like you see with people trying to find home for pets. Now, this government of, of Canada says they have no, no fiduciary duty, no, no moral responsibility to the children, the Métis children. And the only thing that separates status and non-status Indian children, the only thing that separates them are that the way the federal government itself has designated Indigenous people under the Indian Act. It, it's, it's wrong. We've had a lot of apologies and settlements that have treated this as something that is completed in in the past and that our governments, um, you know, are moving forward on a new leaf. But as you as you mentioned, there are more children in foster or institutionalized care, Indigenous children now than there were during the 60s scoop. This is an ongoing problem. So what would you like to see happen happen now from our federal and provincial leaders? Well, absolutely. The, the question of, of how the government um, addresses and fails to address um, child welfare is well known because of Cindy Blackstock and the Child and Family Caring Society of Manitoba, who took the federal government, um, they, they made a complaint to the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal, 
and the Canadian government fought against that complaint and tried to have it thrown out numerous times and was unsuccessful. And ultimately, in January of 2016, the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal found in favor of Cindy Blackstock and the uh, Child and Family Caring Society and said that the government of Canada discriminates against Indigenous children. And four times the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal has written to the government of Canada demanding that they comply and stop discriminating, and they don't. So number one, number one easy thing is just look at all the arguments that Cindy Blackstock and company made over the many years, look at the decisions of the court or or of the tribunal, and implement them. They know what the problems are. And let's start supporting families. Let's go back to the individuals who are parents now who suffered in their upraising because of policies implemented by the Canadian government. Let's go to those families and provide supports, counseling, family therapy, parenting classes, child care when people want to work, supports for, uh, for training and education, um, money for housing on reserves so that you don't have 15 people crammed into a two- or three-bedroom bungalow. Let's have clean water on reserves so that families aren't struggling to get basic necessities of life at the cost of other things like taking care of their children and, 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 and educating them and helping them to read and to have the best lives they can have. Address the, address the problems that are known with solutions that have already been laid out. There are people on the front lines, grassroots people in, on First Nations across this country who know the problems and know, they, they know what the solutions are. Support them. Support those programs. And, and there can be a resurgence of, of dignity and family life and healing. Betty Ann, thank you so much. I know this might have been a difficult conversation for you. Really appreciate your personal experience and your insight today. So So I must admit that... I would have been one of the ignorant people that you would have bumped into on your airplane, and I did not know as much as this about the 60s scoop as I should have. So I did a lot of reading in preparation um, for this episode. And one of the things that really struck out to me was an example of sort of the social workers' lack of understanding of Indigenous culture and what they would see when they would go to the visits and what that would mean for them. So something I found was that social workers would enter the homes of Indigenous peoples and see the traditional Aboriginal diet. So things like um, dried game or fish, berries, roots, etc. And they didn't see sort of the Anglo-Saxon fridges and cupboards stocked with, you know, your mac and cheese and whatnot. And so they would think that these homes weren't, the adults or the homes weren't providing for their children or seeing the social problems such as poverty, um, you know, unemployment, addiction, um, feeling this so-called duty to protect the local children mm-hmm. and still had their children taken from them with little warning and absolutely no consent. And as someone who grew up poor, like my parents are first-generation immigrants, when we first came back to Canada, all of us slept in one room on one bed 
five people um, in someone else's house. And this notion that we equate money with love. I grew up shit poor, but I was loved so much by my parents. And the fact that we valued some sort of Anglo-Saxon upbringing over being loved and cared for by your family to me is just like beyond horrendous. It, and, you know, we can't avoid talking about class if we're going to talk about all this stuff. And we can't avoid, we also can't avoid putting it in a, in a current context today because what CFS does today and what social workers are trained to do are to look for these social indicators. So if a kid's got dirty clothes on, that probably indicates poverty. Um, it doesn't indicate, you know, a single mom working two jobs and didn't have time to get to the laundry. Um, it indicates poverty. And these indicators, you know, and the way we measure fit families just continually let not just indigenous people down, poor, poor people. It, it just continually lets people on the other side of the margin down. And we're not talking about poor eating out of dumpsters. We're talking about people that have hard time making ends meet on a month-to-month basis. And Betty Ann makes that point too that children's aid societies, child welfare systems tend to be more willing to work with certain types of families. So if there are addiction issues in the home and it looks upper middle class, they're more willing to work with that. And we've seen this bared out in statistics. This isn't just anecdotal. They're more willing to work with seeing that parenting unit or units through an addiction program than they would be quite often with more marginalized communities. And the numbers bear this out. Um, Chief Belagrada said there are some 40,000, 40,000, 40,000 Indigenous children in care in this country right now. Like, let that number sink in, like 40,000 kids not with their families. A star investigation found in Ontario, Indigenous youth are 168% more likely to end up in care than other children. I... um. So I've never talked about this publicly, but, um, you know, by some miracle, me and my brother, my two sisters weren't taken from my parents. And, you know, we have that, that intergenerational survivor story where my mom wasn't raised by her mom. And both of my parents tried really hard to do the best they could for us. And I don't know how we weren't taken because there was drugs and alcohol. There was violence. There was extreme poverty. And um, we got, I got lucky, you know, I got lucky and we weren't, uh, weren't taken. And, and so, you know, the, the, not just the indifference, of successive governments, but the quagmire that's created between the feds and the provinces allows, continues to allow children to fall through the cracks. And just in good faith, can the provinces not come to the table with the feds and fix this? Not, you know, Jane Philpott says we have a humanitarian crisis in Canada. This is the first time the government's ever said this. And this should be a dark shame. And I don't know if we're paying attention. This is, she's identified a humanitarian crisis in Canada. 
and and you know in the new year she's she's vowed to create a table to 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 have the provinces and the feds come to the table and this is this is why for clarification's sake this is why Betty Ann's talking about the Métis people falling through the cracks it's jurisdictional it's because there's no record like Indian Act records where you you have names of status Indians they didn't have the same type of capacity for to to log who was Métis I mean just to get some numbers in context so right now in Manitoba there are 11,000 children in care mm-hmm. 10,000 of them are indigenous. That's yeah. not a very big province. No, the also... The provincial population is... That's 90% of the children. Yeah. Like, how can you deny yeah. that something is wrong? And connecting connecting the past, you know, to the present, I think, in this story is essential. And for listeners, ju- just to understand that um, when we talk about residential school and we talk about poverty we talk about addictions we talk about all of the media headlines you will you will see in a day about indigenous people it's connected we can't separate one issue from another because it all comes back to the roots of this country and i think if there's one thing that i can ask listeners to do is to start to work from that premise that all of these things are in a, a soup and and they they're all the, the same ingredient and it's it's the colonial mentality that exists and the systems that were created in order to uphold that mentality and I think part of the challenge of course is how we allow indigenous peoples to live free and unencumbered lives indigenous liberation should be the project not reconciliation not any other fucking buzzword you want to use it's allow the liberation of indigenous peoples to live free and un- unencumbered lives in this country and you know, if if I know I'm talking a lot, but I'll, I'll say sort of one more uh, one more thing that there are models out there on my reserve on Kuchiching First Nation. The Agency One bands of, of Northwestern Ontario and Treaty Three have an organization called Wichitawin. Wichitawin is a is an organization that deals with Native kids on reserve uh, in and throughout Treaty Three, and there are models now that are being worked on and and we're starting to see this across the country where native families are being put front and center where instead of scooping kids first, we look at can we place these kids with family members while mom and dad or auntie and uncle go to rehab or to get clean. Um, we are seeing, starting to see some movement. So I, I, I don't – there doesn't need to be doom and gloom because there are some positive models out there that we can learn a lot from. We just have to be willing to strengthen those models and really give those models more resources. That's your commas episode for this week. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Hadia Rodrigue. I'm Ashley Chnati. And I'm Ryan McMahon. Check out our website at canadalandshow.com slash commons. And you can email us at commons at canadalandshow.com. And if you want tickets to our show in Vancouver, our live taping on November 17th, go to canadalandshow.com slash commons. We say goodbye to our producer, Russell Gregg, today. Thanks for everything, Russ, and good luck. Our music is produced by Nathan Burley. If you like what we do, please support us on patreon.com slash CanadaLand.
This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode of Commons is brought to you in part by Canardian. What is Canardian, you ask? Well, it is a podcast that's gossiping about Canadian hometowns. Every episode, podcast producer and writer Katie Lauer is joined by various Canadian podcasting personalities to unravel the juicy stories about their hometowns from trusted sources like eyewitness testimony, community Facebook groups, subreddits, and Wikipedia. Nothing, nothing I say is fact-checked, but it is pretty dang entertaining. And you know who is a guest on this season of Canardian? Well, none other than yours truly. So if you are interested in the very important distinctions between Surrey and North Delta, if you want to learn whether or not I could outrun the Delta PD, well, this is the podcast for you. Listen and subscribe to Canardian from Pod the North right now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.